Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers, share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We hope to see you there. In November, the California Department of Pesticide Regulation proposed a regulation that would enact a statewide system to provide the public with information before intended applications of restricted material pesticides were used in the state. The department held public hearings and will accept written comments on the regulation through January 12th. The department said the announcement followed two years of outreach, public meetings, and pilot projects and will beta test the technology needed to support this system. In a statement, the department said the state's regulatory system includes a scientific evaluation of all pesticides before they are sold in California and a continuous evaluation of pesticides to mitigate risks. Restricted materials are pesticides classified with a higher potential risk to human health or the environment and can only be applied by licensed applicators, according to the department. A draft of the regulation is available online at cdpr.ca.gov. California Governor Gavin Newsom highlighted the latest round of state grants to plan and implement neighborhood-level climate resilience projects and conserve agricultural land across the state. The California Strategic Growth Council has approved $98.1 million for 11 climate resilience projects in disadvantaged, unincorporated, and tribal communities through the Transformative Climate Communities Program, as well as $116.8 million to conserve approximately 50,500 acres of agricultural and working lands through the Sustainable Agricultural Lands Conservation Program, making further progress on the state's 30 by 30 conservation goal. This year, for the first time, SOC funding will support California tribes with land acquisitions, advancing the state's work to support tribal access, co-management, and acquisition of ancestral lands. SOC investments from this round of funding also provide pathways to land ownership and access to agricultural lands for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. Combined, the 11 transformative climate communities projects from this funding will reduce greenhouse gas emissions by almost 37,000 metric tons, equivalent to taking just over 8,100 gasoline-powered passenger vehicles off the road for one year. To date, the state has invested $424 million in 37 communities through the TCC program to plan and implement projects that reduce greenhouse gas emissions, improve public health in the environment, and expand economic opportunity for residents. Since 2015, 244,000 acres of agricultural land and working land statewide have been protected under the SALC program. A 255-acre farm located on Interstate 5 in Buttonwillow, California, and owned by Daniel Rudneck, will soon be home to a 4 million square foot warehouse complex. 
The plan, he says, is that they're going to leverage the value of this huge route and its location and do something more than just grow field crops. Similar transformations are happening across Kern County, the southern gateway to the San Joaquin Valley, which is poised to become the next frontier for Southern California's warehouse industry, valued at hundreds of billions of dollars. Landowners like Rudnick are frustrated by new state laws that will severely limit access to groundwater. Therefore, they are selling or converting their properties. Land is being rezoned for industrial use and massive warehouses are being built on speculation near traditional farming communities like Buttonwiller and Shafter, so goods coming through Southern California ports can be shipped quickly throughout the western United States. According to the latest California Grape Storage Report, a total of 865,917 packages of grapes, including bags, clamshells, plain packs, wrapped in other packages, were held in cold storage in California. That is about 75% less than the number in storage a year ago. Lemon supplies in North America are steady right now. In the U.S., supplies are coming from California as well as Mexico, while Canada is receiving shipments from the U.S. as well as Morocco, Egypt. And demand is very stable. The price depends on supply. In furthering its commitment to support local communities and organizations in the regions where its family of employees live and work, Grimway Farms, based in Bakersfield, has announced more than $250,000 in direct charitable contributions through its 2023 sponsorship and philanthropic initiatives. From organizing food drives and making donations of fresh, healthy produce to funding pet adoptions and distributing Thanksgiving meals to neighbors in need, Grimway has donated more than 1,000 tons of fresh produce and says they have provided vital financial and in-kind support to more than 100,000 organizations this year. We know it's been tough managing inputs and resources lately. That's why we're inviting you to the Inputs Ag Summit on January 10th in Fresno, California. This event is a lifeline for specialty crop growers, PCAs, CCAs, and applicators alike. It's your opportunity to get help in today's challenging landscape. What will you find at the Input Ag Summit? Cost-saving seminars, networking with experts, special panel discussions, and solutions for hard times. Visit myaglife.com backslash events today to sign up for this new and exciting conference. Proper post-harvest nutrition was certainly beneficial in increasing carbohydrate storage, but the last little bit that we thought we were getting uh, in those leaves and producing carbohydrates uh, really wasn't as significant once we got into November as we had previously thought if the weather was still good. Certified crop advisor and soil specialist Rich Kreps talking about research in pistachio that is thought to also apply to almond and walnut trees. New research out of UC Davis has shed light on actual carbohydrate storage levels post-harvest and how this might affect a zinc application in the dormant season. So it's been my uh, thought process for the last 15 years that uh, lots of times growers were selling themselves short because they were going in too early and they were zinking the leaves off to try to shut the trees down into dormancy too early. And I thought they were missing that last one or potentially even two months uh, of carbohydrate storage that was happening as the chlorophyll production was still pretty high after harvest. Um, I think that's still true uh, through October, but after we start getting into November, uh, Joe Coelho um, was doing a lot of research out of Valley Orchard Management, uh, Maricopa Orchards, um, several different of his own projects with his family farm. He was doing um, some research in zinking leaves off and also trying to accumulate winter chill. And at the same time, 
uh, clipping wood and sending it to the project at UC Davis where uh, Dr. Zwicky was doing the carbohydrate storage tests. And what they found was proper post-harvest nutrition um, was certainly beneficial in increasing carbohydrate storage. But the last little bit that we thought we were getting uh, because of you know having adequate magnesium levels and chlorophyll levels, iron levels uh, in those leaves and producing carbohydrates uh, really wasn't as significant once we got into November as we had previously thought if the weather was still good. So October is critical for post-harvest um, applications. Uh, but as we get into November, when you run the risk of a freeze, uh, it's not as detrimental as I used to tell our farmers to zinc off too early. Um, they weren't losing as much carbohydrate storage as we thought, as opposed to go ahead and zinc those off so you can set, shut your tree down earlier for chill accumulation. There, there are other factors involved for chill, uh, but the carbohydrate portion of that that I thought we were missing out on doesn't matter as much in November. Critical in October, not so much in November. Kreps said from a CCA perspective, what he'll now be recommending to growers about zinking leaves off the trees will be dependent on the type of tree nut crop they're growing and the growth stage. If it's young pistachios, and I don't care what the variety is, but if you're before fruit bearing age or right there, maybe it's the first couple of years, four, five, six, um, maybe even seventh leaf stuff. If the trees are still young, fairly tender and, and rapid growth, it's obviously happening with young trees. Uh, the last thing you want to do is freeze those buds off because you didn't prepare that thing for dormancy and let the frost come in and cause issues. Um, so go ahead and shut the trees down when we get into November. Uh, earlier than better, especially if there's there's a frost accumulation event coming up. The other thing you have to think about is we used to think, uh, you know, I've just zinc these leaves off. So I put so much zinc into the tree that I really helped it for the spring so that the tree has adequate nutrition coming out in bloom. And it couldn't be any further from the truth when you've created a toxic environment and those leaves have these high levels of zinc now that cause them to create an abscission layer and drop the leaves is that nutrition comes back down uh, towards the base where the leaf is attached uh, to the stem, to that, to that budwood, where it's attached right there, that zinc then is allowing the abscission layer to be created by the tree pushing back against it because the tree doesn't want that toxicity pulled into itself. It realizes things are, it's like a sunburn and you're shedding skin. Um, so it's not taking in extra nutrient, you're not getting that extra vitamin D coming in from the sun, your body's creating that. It's fighting against it, pushing back out and dropping the leaves because it's gone toxic. So you're not creating a nutrition event, you're creating a toxicity that makes the tree shed the leaves. No reason to think that other tree nuts uh, aren't gonna benefit from something along these lines. This year, we had such a mild fall. We didn't have the rainfall, guys were still irrigating, but uh, well into November uh, and even the first couple of weeks of December, there were several almond orchards you'd walk out. Um, if you walked up and touched the leaves, they're pretty much gonna fall, but they still were uh, about as green as we saw them in August. Um, so that chlorophyll probably didn't get absorbed back into the plant, but the tree still looked very, very green. Not to say there was a whole lot of activity happening there, but we probably could have shut those trees down a little early or at least helped that, that uh, procedure a little bit more. When they're weak and they're ready to fall, a good rain event and wind is going to take a lot of those off. Um, but if you're worried that these things aren't going to shut down and a frost event is coming, uh, I don't see why you wouldn't go in uh, on almonds or even walnuts if you needed to. And if we're going to go further down that line, pecans or hazelnuts. Uh, pecans can handle a little bit more deeper into, into winter, but 
Uh, still can be very beneficial if you need to shut a tree down because there's a, a freeze coming. The good part about this new knowledge is it gives a more precise avenue for managing trees in the off-season in different weather conditions rather than leaving some things to chance. Post-harvest nutrition, super critical. If a person has done that properly and they've set the tree up, so we've got good root flush after harvest. And by after harvest, I don't mean late October. Uh, I mean when the last nut leaves the field. Get it going. If you put proper nutrition into those plants after they just run their marathon and they're soaking up nutrition, they have a better chance of using every tool at their disposal to regulate themselves to handle any kind of abiotic stress that's coming with mother nature. So if by chance things aren't progressing as fast or the polar vortex has set itself over the Central Valley of California and a freeze is coming, then you're going to exacerbate shutting trees down with a a toxic zinc spray to knock leaves off. So uh, the factors all have to be considered in the conversation of what the grower did, is doing, and will do to make sure we know where to go. But don't just leave things to chance because uh, some goofy little guy in Madera wrote an article at one point, and that is the the holy grail right there of what we need to do with trees. Have that discussion with your CCA or your PCA or your soil scientist, your irrigation specialist. Have those discussions so a plan is put in place. If this, then that. By doing that, you're going to set yourself up for uh, obviously a lot more success uh, and higher yields next year. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Tallstrom. This segment was sponsored by Polymer Ag, makers of Anti-Stress 550, the climate stress solution. Find out more at polymerag.com. Milk production in the 24 major milk producing states during November totals 17.3 billion pounds, a half a percent below November of 2022. October's revised production at 17.9 billion pounds was down 0.6% from October of last year. The October revision represented a decrease of 37 million pounds or 0.2% from last month's preliminary production estimate. Production per cow in the 24 major states averaged 1,948 pounds for November, three pounds below November of 2022. 22. The number of milk cows on farms in these states was 8.9 million head, 26,000 head less than in November of 2022, and 9,000 head below October of this year. Milk production in the U.S. totaled 18.1 billion pounds in November, down 0.6% from November of 2022. Production per cow hit 1,932 pounds in November, two pounds below November of last year. The number of milk cows on farms in the U.S. was 9.36 million head, 44,000 head below last year. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is set to restore registration of the insecticide chlorpyrifos after a federal appeals court in November throughout the agency's complete ban on a chemical. The agency announced yesterday that it would reestablish chlorpyrifos tolerances on 11 uses identified by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit in its ruling. Chlorpyrifos can once again be used on alfalfa, apples, asparagus, tart cherries, citrus, cotton, peaches, soybeans, strawberries, sugar beets, and both spring and winter wheat. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai applauded the European Union's announcement that it's extending the suspension of tariffs on U.S. goods. For the past two years, the United States and European Union have engaged in critically important negotiations. She said their goal is to negotiate a forward-looking arrangement that will allow them to join forces economically to incentivize fair and clean production and trade in the steel and aluminum sectors. She points out that challenges remain as two new wars have started and global economic disruptions have continued since 
since the negotiations began in 2021. These are technically complex negotiations, and the United States remains committed to their partnership with the EU and to staying at the table to continue the progress they've made so far. She says she's glad the EU has announced that it is taking steps to join the U.S. in extending the time for these negotiations. Congress may have to figure out another way to keep the government open as it faces a January 19th funding deadline and little time to make a deal when lawmakers return after the holidays. Lawmakers return from the holidays the second week of January, leaving just eight legislative days. Lawmakers return from the holidays the second week of January, leaving just a few days to cut a so far elusive deal on a top line figure for spending bills, including USDA. Iowa GOP Senator Chuck Grassley says colleagues are already discussing their options with a first two of shutdown deadlines with the first of two shutdown deadlines coming up on January 19th. There's rumors going around there that maybe the January 19th date will be dovetailed in with the February 2nd deadline. And then there's even another rumor going around of having a one-year CR. He's referring to another stopgap continuing resolution to keep the government open as the House and Senate fight over the size of cuts in a Biden-McCarthy deal last spring, muddled by a handshake side deal that new Speaker Mike Johnson won't agree to. Separately, Grassley could not say if the announced purchases of U.S. steel by Japan's largest steelmaker will adversely affect steel-dependent U.S. farmers or have antitrust implications. But if it did, then you'd probably find me writing a letter to the Justice Department saying, I expect you to take a good look at this and find out if there's any anti-competitive problems as a result of it. With recent House passage of the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act, attention now turns to the Senate to take action. Farm News reporter Michael Clements has more. National Milk Producers Federation Senior Director of Government Relations and Head of Nutrition Policy, Claudia Larson, explains what's next for the legislation in the Senate. Its own version of the whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act was introduced in June of this year by Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas and Senator Peter Welch from Vermont. There are 10 additional Senate co-sponsors, six Republicans through Democrats and one independent. So we do know there is broad bipartisan support for this bill in the Senate. Now, whether or not the Senate picks up, it's own measure or picks up the House approved bill. We're not entirely sure, but hopefully we'll see one of those two measures move and we can continue to advance this important bill. Larson says the legislation can improve child nutrition by expanding the milk options schools can serve as part of breakfast and lunch programs. Milk is a nutrition powerhouse. Milk at all fat levels provides 13 essential nutrients, nutrients the kids need to grow and thrive. Yet school-aged children and adolescents are not consuming these vital nutrients and we must provide kids with helpful options that they will choose to actually drink. So the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act is a common sense approach to address this underconsumption of critical nutrients because it expands the options that schools can choose to serve to include 2% in whole milk. She says parents and children both prefer whole and 2% milk. By increasing access to whole and 2% milk, what we're doing is we're increasing kids' access to the nutritious milk options that are more popular, they're more commonly chosen, 
A recent survey of American parents actually demonstrates that 8 in 10 parents think the 2% and whole milk are the healthiest options for their kids. They're choosing that for their children at home. And we believe by providing these healthy, popular options at schools, we can continue to see kids consume and intake these vital nutrients. Larson says there are ways you can help ensure children have access to whole and 2% milk at school. One would be to email, call, write your senator, ask them to support the whole milk for Healthy Kids Act, hoping for them to advance either their version or the House-approved version. Another way someone can become an advocate for whole milk would be to become involved in the dietary guidelines updating process, which is in the works right now. Online, you would just go to regulations.gov and then search for the 2025 dietary guidelines where you can be an advocate for whole milk and really encourage the dietary guidelines process to incorporate this newer science on whole fat milk which demonstrates its health benefits um, across all ages. Learn more at nmbf.org. Michael Clements reporting. In an updated report, USDA says that foreign investors held an interest of over 43.4 million acres of U.S. agricultural farmland and forest land as of the end of 2022. That represents an increase of over 3.4 million acres from a December 31st report and represents 3.4 percent of all privately held agricultural land in the U.S., according to the document. The findings are based on information submitted to the USDA in compliance with the Agricultural Foreign Investment Disclosure Act of 1978. Forest land accounted for over 48% of all reported foreign-held acreage, with cropland accounting for 28%, pasture and other agricultural land for over 21%, and non-agricultural land for slightly more than 2%. Foreign holdings of U.S. agricultural land increased modestly from 2012 to 2017, increasing an average of 0.6 million acres per year, according to the report. Since 2017, foreign holdings have increased an average of nearly 2.9 million acres annually, ranging from 2.4 million acres to over 3.4 million acres per year, according to the report. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humic Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast and live and virtual events jcs marketing has the reach to inform educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast nut magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that is there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 